step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. That way, you have fresh vegetables, and you're still greening the community, but you're having something that's edible also. So, somebody coming on or leaving? Okay, so. Yes, you're listening to TNL Radio. Correct. You're listening to Nellie's Hour. We are staying tuned for Leslie and the Gist of Freedom. You are listening to Leslie... And the gist of freedom okay. right now. Okay. Nellie Johnson signing off. Have a blessed weekend. Uh, see you next weekend. And I thank everybody that listened in. And I hope I said something that was beneficial to those of us who were listening. Have a blessed weekend. Bye-bye. Thank you. Okay. Uh, thank you, Leslie. No I, I just want to add when I'm talking about producers and um, Donald Brown, we are honest. Leslie Gist is a TV podcast and producer. We have them. So now I'm going to let you go, Leslie. Could you give us a station identification before you go, Grandma Ellen? Pardon me? Oh, TNL Radio. You are listening to TNL Radio. 90.5 in a selected area of East New York. You are listening to Leslie and the Gist of Freedom from 3 to 4, from 4 to 5. We're chilling with Donna Brown's journal. Thank you. Okay. All right. Um, again, I'm Leslie Gist, and you're listening to the Gist of Freedom, and you can learn more about the Gist of Freedom at our website, T-H-E-G-I-S-T-O-F freedom.com. And you can also uh, check out my Facebook page where I share historical um, photographs and information on our black icons throughout the year, our icons who we know little about. Now, I hear background noise. If you're not speaking, it would be very nice if you could mute your phone because there's a lot of background noise. You would help us out if we could just do that. Um, also, you can learn more about the Gist of Freedom on our blog, talk radio show, www. Black History blog, and on iTunes, www. Black History University. Um, today we have a special guest on. He, his name is Mr. Derek Phillips. Mr. Phillips is an organizer of a daddy-daughter dance. Um, I am a proponent of negating all the negatives. Uh, publicity and images that we see um, across the media 24-7. Even when I was on my honeymoon in Egypt, I, I couldn't stand the fact that when I turned the television on, 
They had the show um, America's Most Wanted, where they had African American men being chased down by white cops. Um, so that was back in '94. So when I learned about this this event, this gala of daddies and daughters, the daddy and daughter dance, I couldn't wait to invite Mr. Derek Phillip Phillips onto the radio show. Are you on the line yet, uh, Mr. Phillips? Um, yes, I'm here. Great. Mr. Phillips, please tell the audience who you are, give them your contact information, and then we'll start talking about who you are in the organization. Okay, my name is um, Derek Phillips, and information, my contact information, you can contact me on at realdadnetwork.org, or my phone number is 212-875-7725. Okay. And tell us, um, what day does this event take place, the time, date, location? It's, um, it's Saturday, June 11th, and it's from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m., and it's at Alhambra Ballroom in Harlem, New York. Okay. Now, Derek, what about your upbringing led you to this? When you look back at your life, what was the pivotal moment or the epiphany that you you experienced that you can say, wow, that's probably what influenced me to be an organizer of this daddy-daughter dance. Anything happened in your youth that you can remember? Um, well, I guess for me, I, when I look back, I guess it's not it's the daddy-daughter dance, but it's also the organization that I actually founded called Real Dance Network. Mm-hmm. And Real Dance Network is an organization that I actually started about um, 10 years ago. And the reason for the organization is that about, and you had spoke about this earlier, about 16 years ago, I, I had my first, well, 20 years ago, I had my daughter, and I was very actively involved in raising my daughter. And people kept saying to me, wow, he's a Mr. Mom. And I was saying to myself, that's really nice that I'm a Mr. Mom. But then I started realizing I'm not a Mr. Mom, I'm a dad. Comes to black fathers, we don't always get the credit. People don't really recognize us as being black fathers. So what I decided to do is that I said I really wanted to change that image and perception about black men as it relates to being fathers. So I ended up doing a documentary 16 years ago called Real Dads, Black Men on Fatherhood that actually had a commentary by the late, great Ozzie Davis. And this documentary was actually the first documentary that was ever done that focused on positive black fathers. So as a result of the documentary, I created this organization called Real Dads Network. And Real Dads Network, the purpose of Real Dads Network is to promote positive images of black men, black fathers, to provide men with resources designed to empower them to be present, to be providers, protectors, and peacemakers. And out of the organization, we started this daddy-daughter dance. Now, when I grew up, I didn't have a father at home in my life. And my mother... You know, I'm the youngest of four brothers and three sisters, and my mother died when I was 10. So I was raised by my older sister, who was 26, and I was um, 10. So I didn't really have a lot of positive role models in my life when I grew up, and I grew up in a household that was very dysfunctional, where, I mean, it was alcohol, drugs, and that's the household I grew up in. And when I became a parent, when I became an adult, I said I want to make sure that my children have what I never had. And that was a dad who was very active, very involved, and who was just there every day. And that's where I've been. And I have two girls. I have a daughter who's 20 years old, Jordan. She's a third year at Oneonta College. And then I have Maya, my 16-year-old, who is um, 
a sophomore in high school. So the purpose of the daddy-daughter dance is to really provide a special evening and event where dads can just share um, with their daughters. And we've been doing it. This is our ninth year. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm promoting your event on my uh, Facebook and Twitter account, and I don't know if you saw the video of the father. They have a bunch of African-American fathers dressed in tuxedos without their jackets on, and they're dancing with their daughters in a synchronized dance, like ballet, and one of them is, am- is an amputee. And it is so touching and moving, it brings everyone to tears. It has over a million hits. It was uh, posted uh, on YouTube uh, about a year ago for last um, Father's Day. So um, uh-huh. that that is the video I'm using to promote your event here in Harlem. Oh, well, thank 11. you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes. And um, I'm just really uh, moved by your story on how, you know, your your uh, background and how you wanted to become the dad that you never had, and I and I understand now a little bit more. I'm a little bit more sensitive after listening to you about using the phrase uh, "Mr. Mom," and <laughs> and it's true. Our black men they don't get that image um, on the media. And one protest I did notice on social media. They have a, a, an advertisement for Pampers or some kind of diapers. And on the advertisement, the box, they have a white couple with their baby. But for the black edition, for the black advertisement, it's just a single mother with a baby. And so these are the things that we're trying to fight. So give us a little bit more information about the history. How did this start? And do you have sponsors? And do you need sponsors? Well, listen, we, we, need, we definitely need sponsors. And actually, this has really been probably, um, you know, a difficult year for us overall mm-hmm. um, in terms of just getting sponsors, getting, um, you know, other people to get involved. Because one of the things that we do is we also do a Real Dance Week where we celebrate um, fathers for a whole week. We have an event in Brooklyn, Bronx, Manhattan, and Queens. Like we've had a father and children's picnic that we had to cancel this year because of funding. We have an award ceremony where we give dads awards. We've given over 200 awards to dads, and that was at Mega Evans College. So this year we've had to cut back on that, and we've been doing that for the last six or seven years. But this year, because of funding, we've had to cut back and not do the week. Um, so that was really disappointing to us. Um, but um, we said next year, you know, we'll continue to do that. But our whole thing is about changing the image and perception as it relates to black fathers. Because the reality is there are more black fathers that are actively involved in raising their children than are not. But mm-hmm. we don't see that statistic. Um, mm-hmm. The CDC did a study about a year and a half ago where they did a study and they said black fathers were more involved in their children's lives than any other ethnic group. This is the mm. CDC that did this report. But we don't hear that report, and we don't see that report. So the research clearly shows that there are more dads that are there than are not. So that's why we're talking Real Dads Network. The focus of Real Dads Network is that we really promote positive images of dads. We don't talk about irresponsible dads. We don't talk about the fatherlessness. Our thing is promoting positive images and positive stories. Because we believe in the concept of the law of attraction. Once you get out 
What you put out, you get back. What you focus on, will expand. So if you're going to constantly focus on negativity, you're not going to get positive results. Right. So if we want right. to change the image in our communities, then we have to start presenting the model of what fatherhood really looks like. And that's right. what we do at Real Dads Network is that we focus on the positive aspect of fatherhood. And through that model, that can turn some of those dads around who are not involved, who would say, you know what, wow, I see that I'm supposed to be there. And the stories that I'm seeing are about dads who are active. So you know what, I need to, you know, straighten out my act and I need to be involved. So we really emphasize the positivity. And, and not only are you um, changing, the, uh, changing the reality of the, the young men of the future dads, but you're also setting the bar very hard, high for the daughters that are participating. And, and they now know what a real father looks like and what to expect from a husband who yes. eventually become, you know, the father of your children. And I think that's extremely important because if young girls, if they don't have a father image, how do they know what to look for in a man when they decide to get married? So I really, really appreciate um, what you're doing on every aspect. Um, and, again, I want you to give a shout-out and give credit to the people who have been sponsoring you and helping you out throughout the years because, you know, it's very hard to find uh, sponsors, and hopefully someone's listening will be a angel and send you some money to uh, get you back where you want to be. So who has uh, – you mentioned Mega Evers. So that's one institution that apparently has been helping you guys out. Uh, and it, we also have even this show, the Daddy Daughter Dance, uh, 103.9 is actually going to, um, you know, talk about the dance as well. So they're going to promote it on their radio station. Um, we've had Fathers Incorporated that have helped us in the past, um, Open Society that has helped us in the past. Um, Forest Dell has also made a contribution. Assemblyman Scarborough, who's no longer Assemblyman in Queens. Um, and who else? We've had other organizations. Um, Zeta Phi Zeta Beta have also been very helpful. Um, Alpha Pi Alpha Fraternity has been also very helpful. Mm-hmm. So, um, But they've been helpful in terms of support. But our biggest issue is really finances in terms mm-hmm. of trying to raise money. So one of the things that we're trying to do now is just really trying to raise money on our own by selling like our Real Dads t-shirts. Oh, okay. Um, Where can we purchase yeah. Real Dad t-shirts? So the Real Dads t-shirts are actually going to go up next week, and it's going to be on our website, realdadsnetwork.org. So we're asking people to really support that in terms of just purchasing a shirt because that will help us so we can fund our own projects. And I don't have to depend on um, sponsors or other resources. Again, what is that website for the purchasing of the t-shirts? Oh, it's realdadsnetwork.org. And your phone number? It's 212-875-7725. And, um, again, we're talking about a daddy-daughter dance on Saturday, June 11th in Harlem at the ballroom, the Alabama ballroom, and we listened to Derek Phillips. And uh, Derek is uh, was giving uh, kudos to a bunch of organizations that have been supporting him throughout the years. Um, when we talk about the uh, daddy dance, uh, is there a particular uh, type of music? Do you have a DJ? Um, 
is, you know, talk about exactly what happens when you come in. And um, The daddy-daughter dance that we have is really different than a lot of the daddy-daughter dances that um, you're going to go to, uh, people have gone to, because it's really, it's a special event, and we treat it as an event where, I mean, you come out, there are no plastic cups. It's really, you're at an, an event. Your owl um, is plates, real plates. It's like going through almost a, it's a formal event in a sense. Mm-hmm. And the dads come dressed up. They don't have to come dressed up, but some of the dads are dressed up. And when you come to the Daddy Jordan dance, we have in terms of stages where it's entertainment, where you're getting an actual show, where we have someone singing, we have someone dancing, we have someone like reciting a poem or playing an instrument. So we have a piece where it's like a, a half-hour show piece. And then we have the daddy-daughter dance where it might be, um, we use, um, which song did we use last year? Uh, Luther Vandross, Dance With My Father. So we'll have that special dance, a daddy-daughter dance. And then after the dance, we just have a party. So it's really a party where the dads and the daughters are just dancing. We have a DJ. We have a, a phenomenal MC, Justice Allah, who gets everybody up on the floor. We have um, whistleblowers. We have lights. Um, so it's really a fantastic, fantastic evening that dads really share with their daughters. And yeah, what's and the I name of the DJ? That, Who's the DJ uh, the again? DJ, MC, we have MC Justice Allah. Oh, okay, wonderful. All right, keep going. I'm sorry I interrupted you. And, and what I tell people, the daddy-daughter dance, it's really, it's an event really for the whole family. And and I say that because the mothers of these daughters, they are so excited about the daddy-daughter dance. They are so excited because for many of them, they've never gone to a daddy-daughter dance themselves with their dad. So now they are really excited for their daughters going to the dance. So they're taking their daughters, they're excited about getting the dress, they excited about taking them to get their hair done. So it's really a family event where everyone is really involved in that whole process. And this year we're going to actually have um, the Daily News is supposed to be interviewing one of the dads and the daughters who are preparing for the daddy-daughter dance. So they're supposed to be doing a video piece on the daddy-daughter dance. Wow. So that's That's going to be very exciting. All right. So is there anything else you want to share before I let you go back? In fact, you're uh, helping your daughter out at uh, at her college campus, and you took the time. Yes, yes. We have only, I'm at only answer now. I'm actually picking up her uh, clothes and furniture to take it home, and then she's going to be coming home next week. Wonderful. Um, was that, did she participate in the daddy-daughter dance? Yes, yes. She will definitely be there. Okay. <laughs> so How I many years has she been? really involved. Oh, she's going every year. This is this will be our ninth year. And the thing is with this daddy-daughter dance is that we've actually, in terms of the dance that we do here, we've influenced other cities as well. Um, mm-hmm. There's a daddy-daughter dance that's done in Philly. As a result, in Philly, I mean, it's a person, Joe Olson, who's doing it in Philly. I gave him the material and encouraged him to do his daddy-daughter dance, and he's been doing it for eight years. Um, there's another daddy-daughter dance they do in Chicago with Philip Jackson and the Million Fathers March. He's doing a dance because of the dance that we're doing here in New York. We have another um, organization in Detroit that's doing a daddy-daughter dance because of the daddy-daughter dance we're doing here. So one of the things that we did three years ago, we had a national daddy-daughter dance. So we had eight cities on board that were actually doing a daddy-daughter dance. Wow, so we all met exciting. on a regular basis. Yeah, we had conference calls, sharing ideas, sharing practices. 
Um, so, so the whole thing for us is it's really about promoting that important relationship that a father and a daughter share. And for a daughter, the dad, that's that first love. So dad mm-hmm. is setting the tone for all those other men, um, males who are going to come down the pike. This is how you should be treated. This right. is what it means when you go out on an evening out where, you know, the dads are holding the doors for the daughters. The dads are treating them like a princess. And when you go out with, and I tell my daughters, when you go out with someone, you, gotta, you are the prize. You are the prize. And men mm-hmm. should treat you a certain way, and you should expect that. And you get that first from your dad. Right. That's beautiful. Do you think your daughter would join us and just uh, tell us a little bit about the event, if she would like? I know this is a last-minute request, but I would love to hear her talk about the event, and then we'll let you guys get back to your college packing. Listen, I'm in, I'm in, they're upstairs in the room, and I'm in the car. Oh, oh I'm so sorry. All right, well, I want to thank you, Derek. And she would, and she, would, she would have no problem talking about it either. That would be great. Can you text her while we're talking? Let me see if I get her to come down. Yeah. Hold on. So, okay, so we're listening to Mr. Derek Phillips, the organizer of the Daddy-Daughter Dance in New York City in Harlem, June 11th. You know, you could purchase tickets to come out and support um, the Daddy-Daughter Dance. Uh, his website is realdadsnetwork.org. Um, .org. And uh, it's an exciting event. Um, as a result of his organization, at least six to eight cities have started their own Daddy-Daughter Dance. And we're encouraging Organizations throughout the country, if you um, are listening and you know someone from another city, get them in touch with Derek Phillips, and Derek will guide them into how to organize and promote this daddy-daughter dance. It's very important, and I'm so proud to see our president, Barack Obama, and his daughters. You know, we were able to watch his daughters grow up and to see the closeness he has with his two daughters is um a real treat for African Americans, especially when we have to see so much negative uh, images. Would you so, give us that number again, um, Mr. Derek Phillips? Would you give us your your cell number? The, no, the number is two one two eight seven five seven seven two five. And if you don't want to bring your, if you're That's not a dad, eight seven five. Eight seven five seven seven two five. Thank you. Okay. Um, and if you don't, uh, if you're not a dad and you just want to support this wonderful event, uh, purchase some T-shirts from Mr. Derek Phillips of the Daddy Daughter Dance. Uh, send him some money. He has an email address. What's your email address? Um, you can send realdadsnetwork at gmail dot com. All right. And, you know, we black people, we are responsible for taking care of us. We're the first ones. We're on the, on the front line. And every week, that's what this show is about. We have to promote positive images. We have to promote educational resources. No one else is going to do it. No one owes us anything. It's only by the grace of God a miracle that our ancestors survived the middle passage, and we're here on this 
turfed this land. It is a miracle. And it's, it happened because we love each other. We promote love despite the, the negative images that we don't stick together and we, we, um, we fight each other, all this negativity. It's up to us to dispel those rumors and to highlight the truth whenever we get a chance. And social media is free for the most part, and we need to use this platform to tell the world who we are and to tell our youth who they are and that we love them. And this daddy-daughter dance is a perfect way that we can express our love for one another. So if you can't come to New York or you just want to um, participate and support Mr. Derek Phillips, please do. Uh, did your daughter get on the line, our college student? No, yeah, no. I'm, I'm te- I just texted <laughs> and she didn't um, get on yet, so she didn't even come okay. down. Okay. I'm All right. My back so, door is locked, so I'm trying to get up. <laughs> okay. All right, um, Mr. Phillips. Well, we'll be back on. You, you have the, the event starts on takes place on June 11th, so we have a few more weekends before um, it takes place. And you can, you're welcome to come back on anytime you want. You can bring your daughters on, or however you want to promote it. We would love to promote your event, and please share pictures. You know. Yes. Okay. Do you are you on social media? Yes. Okay. Find you on social media. Um, you can go to Facebook, just Real Dads Network. Real Dads Network. Okay. All right. So any parting words, any good advice, any quotes, favorite quotes? And uh, again, plug that, that documentary you were talking about. We'd like to learn more about that before you go. Okay, so the documentary is um, Real Dads, Black Men on Fatherhood. This was actually done, again, 16 years ago. And this is the first documentary ever done that's focused exclusively on black fathers. And one of the things that we're doing now is that we're also in the process of doing Real Dads 2. We're looking at these fathers 16 years later and looking at what has been the impact on their children's education. Mm-hmm. So we say that dads should be involved, but what does it really look like when fathers are involved in the children's education? Right. Wonderful. All right. Okay. Um, again, parting words, favorite quotes, favorite dad, anything you want to share? Um, my, my, my favorite quote is always, you know, without us, there can't be us. Wonderful. Okay. Again, thank you, Mr. Derek. So thanks for taking the time out from doing a great daddy, daddy, uh, service to your daughter, and um, we look forward to talking to you soon. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right. All right. Hello? Okay. Hello. Is this um, Zion? Yeah. I was on the line the whole time, but the conversation was going on, so let it flow. Zion, what do you have to say? You're a young man. What do you think about dads and daughters dancing? And would you participate in something like that? Or will you when you become a dad? Yeah, it's a good organization, and the message is good, promoting fathers who, you know, do their business, get the job done. It's not spoken about enough, and a lot of recognition is given because we often know 
Um, even in most cultures, Mother's Day is always, you know, promoted. And there's a reason, but Mother's Day is always promoted more than Father's Day in a lot of ways. So it's good to give the recognition to fathers who are out there and doing doing what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Zion, uh, what is going on? We've been missing you for the last couple of weeks. Is there anything exciting or anything you want to talk about, anything you learned in the few weeks that we haven't uh, been on the air together? Anything in the news? Well, um, yeah, well, in the news, um, you know, it was sad to hear about Prince and the whole situation that he had passed on. And, you know, it's a thing that's happening. Um, a lot of the stars who made the good music that, you know, we've grown up on or came throughout the generations in the past are just passing on like crazy in this time period. So, I mean, it's it's sad that we've lost another one, you know, in this day and age. Now, what year were you born, Zion, for you to, to feel the, the loss in, in, in the way that you do? I'm just curious, what year? 99. 1999, and that is the year, yes. one of his most famous songs, 1999 mm. by Prince. And you said you're mm. losing so many greats. Yeah. T- tell us, who are you talking about when you consider the greats? Well, a lot of people in recent years have died. Um, we know um, Whitney Houston died, Bernie Max, Isaac Hayes, a lot of great. Michael Jackson, of course, a lot of great artists just have passed on in the, you know, the past few years. And so it's as music, in a sense, unless we have a lot of people who are bringing back some of the sounds of that golden era, music, in a sense, will never be the same because we've lost so many of those icons. Mm-hmm. And what makes Prince such a, a great icon to you? Well, I've never really listened to Prince music because he's more towards the rock side. But, I mean, I hear he, he was great, and his sound helped influence a lot of the people who make that type of music today. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, he was on yeah. He was on several art. You know, he worked. He wrote a lot of songs. Um, yes. But, but did you listen to Michael Jackson? Yeah, Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston, definitely. I listened to them more more along those lines and their music was great. I know Whitney um was great with the with the vocals. My mom listened to Whitney Houston and I liked her songs. Um her ballads and then she made that switch to R and B around the turn of the century. So that was and her music was definitely great in all sense. But Michael Jackson, you don't even need to mention it. We all know that his music was great on all accounts. We don't we don't even have a genre to to describe Michael Jackson. He was he was his own genre of music in many ways. Wonderful. And when you um, look at the music you listen to now, is there anything comparable? Well, I mean, music nowadays is more, in a sense, just for listening for fun or listening at a party or something like that. But in terms of, like, music, it being music that's going to last, you know, generations from now or pertain a quality or have a certain message to it, then I wouldn't say that fits into, you know, the music that we have nowadays in the 2010s. So compared to what was going on before. So there's no message you're saying it's, you know, it lacks substance. Yeah. I mean, some songs do have a message, but I'm saying more often than not popular music in many ways has just made a shift 
you know, in my opinion, downhill old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what what makes Prince so great is um, I don't know if you know the history, but Prince was always an activist fighting for self control, self reliance, independence. In music, the, yeah, I heard about that. Okay. So um, he had just recently signed a deal with Jay-Z and Beyonce's streaming company. Mm-hmm. So he was trying to set a new platform, a new standard of what an artist should look like and what they should expect when it comes to controlling their money, their revenue. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and from, you know, you're going to, I'm pretty sure you're looking to be an entrepreneur. What do you have to say about uh, Prince from that aspect? You know, we had Michael Jordan with the sneakers. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned Michael Jackson. Um, are there too many, do you know of too many artists that are past or the present that are out there fighting for financial freedom? And, you know, Prince actually wrote the word slave on his face. Yeah, yeah, I saw that on the news. Mm-hmm. I know um, in the past, this is not particular. Um, I know Jamie Foxx, like, when he had his show, his sitcom, he was always talking about um, having his own creative control and creative freedom because he was working at a company trying to make his own music, but then the producers would always come in and say, we want to change this, we want to change that. So, you know, that message resonates on a lot of um, levels with many people, creative freedom or financial freedom in many aspects. Um, A lot of times, I know this happened with TLC, the group, they basically, they were robbed of a lot of the money that they made because they were not in a position of, you know, controlling their finances. But one entrepreneur who ended up doing it the right way was Oprah. She, when she was in a position to negotiate, I heard, um, bought over control of her show. So that's how she was able to, you know, jump off onto many other brands besides her talk show. And that's how she accumulated her billions over time. Wow. Okay. And when you, um, did you see the film Ray with Jamie Foxx? Yeah, I saw bits of it, portions of it a long time ago. Okay, now that Prince has died and we know mm-hmm. about his fight with um, wanting financial freedom and more control over his um, records, anyone that's a musician should study Prince and they should study Ray. Ray, although he was blind, he was able to purchase the Masters and he cut one of the, one of the best deals where he gained independence and became extremely wealthy, and he had control over his masters, and, and which is extremely beneficial. So that, that is one reason why Ray is so um, important when it comes to entrepreneurs and musicians and anyone who has to work with a large institution. Yeah. So, you're a young person. When I grew up, I started off when I was listening to finals. Right. Mm. The line is breaking up a little bit. Okay, I was listening to vinyl records, right? Uh huh. You know, and something called eight-track tape. Are you familiar with eight-track tape? Heard about it. Don't know what it is. 
Okay. Well, when you get a chance, Google under Google Images a track tape. It's a huge cassette tape. It looks. It's a cross between a cassette tape and a VHS tape. I don't know if you ever saw a VHS tape. Yeah, now, VHS was. I had VHS until like kindergarten. That's when it started going up. Okay. Well, the eight track tape played music and looked like a VHS tape, but it was shaped like a cassette tape. But it was really the same size as a VHS tape. And just to bring you a little history, I want you to explain to people my age and older what is streaming? Okay. Well, streaming. Um, well, let me go and say streaming, for instance, is like Spotify. Spotify is an app where you can play music, or streaming is downloading music off the Internet. You're playing it through your phone or you're playing it off of a website. So you don't have the physical CD or the physical VHS inside of your house. You're just playing it from a source that's invisible, like your phone. You don't have the physical CD there, but you're playing the music. So um, streaming is more efficient when it comes to space and when it comes to having music being portable. However, streaming is a lot less sentimental than an 8-track tape or VHS or DVDs. And I know DVD went out of style extremely quickly. It was just VHS, then it was DVD for a few years, and then streaming just took over. Mm -hmm. So streaming streaming is basically not having physical music. It's downloading it or playing it off of somewhere. Now, when you download it, is it yours permanently? Can you record it yes. onto yeah, it a is. device? Yes, it is. Okay, and, and you can also transfer it onto a, or you can burn it onto a DVD or a CD? Yeah, but on certain phones, it's um, certain sources, it's harder to do that. Like, for instance, if you have an Apple phone, Apple is a company that likes money, so Apple will purposely make it difficult for the user to download music and put it onto the phone. Like Apple, for instance, doesn't have something that's called an SD card where you can transfer files onto it. That's only on Android phones. On an Android, you have something called an SD card that stores all of your data, and you can transfer thousands of songs onto that, up to how much the SD card can hold. So that's streaming in a sense as well. You're using, I guess, technology, not the physical CD or the physical tape to transfer music. And you can also transfer videos onto this uh, card, this Android device? Um, I believe so. There, there's a lot of things that go with explaining it, but yes. The phone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, now, you, yes, did you listen to the Gist of Freedom? You're on with Zion De Leon. Did I say it for it? Dakota, D-E-C-O. Dakota, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. Hello? All right. Hi. You can join the conversation. Yeah. You yes. Want to say uh, how you doing? Yeah, I want to add it to what the, this is Randy Hudson. Uh, Hi, Mr. Hudson. How you feeling today? Great. Uh, uh, first off, it comes off of a cloud server. Like your your computer is could be a server in your house. But what Google and others are doing, they call them cloud servers. You can download it off the server. Like the gentleman said, iTunes tries to lock up everything. But there are apps and programs that you can use to download, whether it's a video 
or just the uh, MP3 music onto your phone uh, that have a very large gigabyte uh, card, the biggest you can get if you're going to download videos and uh, also music with extremely big files. So it's always best if you get an SD card, you know, try this 16 gigs or larger that you're going to be doing that. Same way if you're going to download movies or, you know, shoot video, get the largest okay. SD card that you can for your phone. Otherwise, you're going to run out of uh, uh, room very quickly because now they're not the terabytes uh, with home computers and other portable computers. And uh, I'm quite sure uh, SD cards are up there also. I haven't heard about a terabyte Still, Slate, may I interject? We are speaking to Randy Hudson, the webmaster. Yeah, how you doing, Grandma? Happy Mother's Day. Uh, Upcoming Mother's Day to all the ladies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because at times when I go around the country, uh, the phones don't work. I have T-Mobile. They say it works everywhere, but it it doesn't. But um, uh, with streaming, yes, uh, he's right. You can download it off of the the Internet. Also, a lot of those YouTube videos you can download and the music. And uh, it's true, a lot of the uh, people that are making the music are not getting paid off of YouTube. Okay? Like, for example, if you put it up there, you could get money from Google, but they wouldn't get a dime, and that's the biggest thing that's going on in the music industry today. How do they get paid? That's why Prince was was uh, dealing with the issues that he was dealing with. But you know, that's for the courts to take care of. I don't know how they're going to actually try to lasso that, especially now because it's gone on for so long. But I wish them luck with that because a lot of the people that made a lot of songs are not making any money off of those songs, especially anything on YouTube, most of them are not making any money. Yeah. Mm. That's sad. Yeah. Um, Can I jump in and comment? Sure. Um, The the gentleman explained it better than me because a lot of people, we know how it, we know how it works. We just don't know the intricacies behind it, like the server and whatnot. I didn't know about that, but I had an idea of what it was. I just know here and I can download it. Yeah, they call them cloud servers. It's basically yeah. your, uh, a computer with a large hard drive and a lot of memory that's somewhere else, okay? Mm-hmm. For example, uh, Atlantic and Washington Avenue, that build, big building that's in Brooklyn near the uh, stadium, that was supposed to be a server building, but the deal fell through. That whole building was just for servers. That was, uh, mm-hmm. let's see, back in the 90s. Yeah, that whole uh-huh. building, a nice, big, beautiful, gray building that's sitting there by the car wash. Right by Van, uh-huh. I think it's Vanderbilt or Washington Avenue. But uh, that's where all your music and your videos come off of because they have different warehouses around the country and they call them cloud servers that um, can take any amount of information that you want. Even your home computer. Uh, one thing I'd like to suggest to people um, is make sure you have two hard drives. Your C drive is your main drive for programs, okay, that run the computer. But make sure you have another drive so if the C drive goes down, you don't lose all your information. The second drive might be called D. You can name it anything you want. But put all your information, like on the D drive, the C drive, if that goes, all your information goes with it, and it's very hard to get off. So 
So I just wanted to say that. So well, you're, I, you're, I, you're teaching us a lot, and I'm I'm taking notes. Now, streaming, are there any black streaming companies other than Beyonce and Jay-Z? And, not that you know, I know about, man. There's so much on the internet. It's like the, the yellow pages today and the white pages. Remember uh-huh. how those old books used to be? There's right. so much, it's hard to keep up. It, it really is. And like somebody tells you their website in particular or they hand you a flyer or something like that or somebody tells you on Facebook. Other than that, it, it's just like, just think of the white pages and the yellow pages how it used to be, okay? And it's getting thicker every day. So mm-hmm. it, it's all networking that you find this out. Same way you know, I found out about your website and the other brother's website. Okay, uh-huh. if uh-huh. they don't come across an advertiser or network, you'll never know that they even exist. You'll just be one of of the uh, uh, websites. I I put it this way: inside the yellow pages or the white pages. Remember how that used to look? Right. The old telephone books. Those yeah, of you that remember, right? And that's how your website will look. It'll just be one of the numbers in there, so it'll get passed over unless you advertise or network. So I just wanted to say that to you. Well, don't and be as the, And as the gentleman just said, um, you know, when it comes to the internet and music these days, a lot of artists are having to stick more to concert sales and promotional tours rather than um, selling music itself because when it comes to the internet, you can just download music for free. Yeah, people are still They have all kind of applications that can grab just about anything off the web, okay? And before, before the music, they they should have really thought that through before while the internet was going up, okay? The music industry definitely uh, fell off on that one, all right? Because uh-huh. all of those artists, it doesn't matter who it is, a lot of their stuff is up there and they're not getting paid for it, okay? Uh-huh. It's performances, and many of the producers, they want to keep the name of their music, but a lot of the artists make their money from uh, uh, live appearances, whether it's a stadium or little club, whatever. So they they might get money off of the, uh, the music, depending on how the contract's written, but most of them are live performances, and a lot mm-hmm. of them are starving right now. That, that's mm-hmm. a shame. You know, so also, there's no remedy in sight. You don't see a remedy in sight for... They don't have um, to go to Congress and change a whole bunch of stuff, especially with Google, okay, because they own Android mm-hmm. platform. They own. They got one of the best things in the world I've ever seen, especially their Google Maps. You can beam into a place now and actually look and see what it is before you even get there. It's just mind-boggling, and I, I got mm-hmm. like that. 25 years with this stuff, and it always blows my mind that what Google has done, they have revolutionized the web in a thousand different ways, and, and right. they hooked the phone into it, which is off the chain. For sure. So if, if you're into music and streaming, you're, you both are recommending that you have an Android. Phone. Yeah, well, to me, the, the the Android phone is better than the iTunes phone because iTunes tries to lock up everything, so you got to buy all their music. They've done that with the home platform also. I forgot which mm-hmm. one it was, but every time you update, uh, they locked it out, okay? One time it was free, and then now mm-hmm. uh, they they lock you out. 
So with the Android platform, it's basically open. Or you can search around and find apps that can actually take it down. But they really needed to do something about the music and the way it began. I feel, well, I feel sorry for a lot of artists, but a lot of them are not broke anyway. Especially like people, example, and I love all these groups, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Okay, yeah. Prince was out there. All right, they're getting extra money. From, from doing live shows, but these guys are making crazy money in the background, especially if they own the music. Well, isn't there a way, if, if I was an attorney, I would try to tap, get paid, have my artists get paid through all these apps. Yeah, but you, you got to go to Congress to get, yeah, go. you have to go to Congress and get them to make a law to shut all this stuff down. That's the only way you mm-hmm. can do that. They'd have to make mm-hmm. a law, because it's too far gone, Okay. It's like you don't have a gate on on your house and people just coming in, you know, anytime they want or a door. That's basically mm-hmm. what it is. They're doing what they want. But if you got a gate and a door on your house, now they got a knock to come in it. All right. So mm-hmm. it's something that has to go through Congress because they have to sit down and do laws to change all of this. And I'm I'm really shocked. As much money as all the musicians and all of those artists have that they haven't done this already, okay? The Internet's been running for a while, from about, like, uh, what, 1999, 98? And mm-hmm. uh, because it was, it was uh, no, uh, Windows 95, okay? They started mm-hmm. Windows 95. And to see that all of this was moving towards, you know, uh, positive things, and music has always been a part of this, I'm, I'm just shocked that, that all of these people that have all of this money just let this slip by. I really am. I, I, that's hard to understand and believe, but that's what they did. And now you hear them talking about making money, but it's kind of late, you know? It's something they now got to go through Congress and then to make a law to, to, to shut Google them down with all that music and make them change it, you know, do different programs. Now, with Zion, and, you know, I've taught yeah. high school for oh, two two decades and worked with children nearly three decades. Um, that would turn a child's, a teenager's life upside down if they had to pay for uh, music. Because no, I yeah, from, from my perspective, like, these, this day and age, no one is trying to buy music. Like, the days of having a shelf inside your house that's just filled up with albums is, is outdated nowadays. People just want it on a computer where it takes up no space in their house, and you're basically getting for free. The only people really paying for music these days are people getting it on oh, iTunes people. legitimately. Oh, now, now, there are people in this generation who are getting it legitimately on iTunes. Because yeah, the process right. is virtually yeah. easy to do it. So. Yeah, so nobody very, wants very to pay for music. And no one is complaining, so because no one yeah, wants they, to They should have did this in the beginning, lock it down. Then it wouldn't be the way it is today. And that's the music mm-hmm. industry for ASCAP, all of them. Okay, these are people with billions of dollars, and I'm just like stunned that these people couldn't see that coming. All right. Well, how are they getting and paid? How 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 is ASCAP and and the producers? As, ASCAP, how are they getting paid? They deal Nobody. with all the publishers and the people that write the music. Those are the people that are down with ASCAP. ASCAP should have definitely had lawyers from the very beginning when the internet started moving like this. Okay, to 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 section out. Uh, you know, what's going to happen with the publishing rights and also, you know, the artists that write the music. They should have had this locked down, plus their videos, okay? Well, they anybody, say, you, you can, 
you could take a, put a video up there saying Earth, Wind, and Fire, right? And now you're getting mm-hmm. hits on it, and Google will pay you because it went over half a million or whatever amount it might be. And Earth, Wind, and Fire is not getting a dollar, okay? And well, so, okay, so what's happening, This is they said follow the money, right? So apparently yeah. the people who are stealing the money, like whenever you go to these websites, I just look up lyrics. I'm old school. When I hear a new song, yeah. I, I like to Google and find out what are they singing, what are they saying. And yeah. when you go to these pages, you see a thousand advertisements before you can yeah. even see the first verse. So right. can't these artists get paid by these advertisers who are who are um They're not paying. it's not on their site. It's it's not on their site. They're like Facebook. You can put ads on at Facebook, you could do it with Google. But see they need a law to lock the whole system down. And anybody that plays any of their music, they got to get paid, okay? If you're making money from the advertising, then, you know, mm-hmm. the artists got to get paid also. That's the way they should have locked it down from the very beginning. And I'm just, right. like, dumb, dumbfounded that here these people involved in this industry and all these artists and major players with billions of dollars, and they didn't do anything. It's just, like, mm-hmm. mind-blowing. And like the brother said, nobody wants to pay for music. Not when you can go get it for free. You can download all of this stuff, turn it into MP3, throw it in your phone. You know, it, it's gotten to the point where now everybody thinks they're supposed to get, you know, free music just because it's out there. And mm-hmm. and that shouldn't, it shouldn't be. People, you know, wrote this music. It took them, some people years. Years. Some people say, oh, it took me five years to write this thing. You know, I went brain dead a number of times. They, they and they said, now, before Donald comes on in five minutes, they they reported that Prince has a vault full of yeah, 150, I heard that. So, what can yeah. he do, Zion? Would you pay as a teenager? And, and and I know you said you're not really a Prince fan. You don't have much of his music. But let's say if he was Michael Jackson and there was a vault of Michael Jackson's music, would you then want to pay to get that music, or would you wait until it was free? Zion, a teenager. Um, do you repeat the question? Sorry, I didn't hear. If an artist similar to Prince passed away, mm-hmm. yeah, and it was reported that he had a vault full of music as a teenager, would you yeah. pay to hear that vault full of music, or would you wait until someone, um, what do you call it, bootlegged it and put it up on the internet for free? I can wait. What would Oh, most teenagers would wait until it was free. I would wait. The industry has spoiled everybody. That's why they should have locked it down in the beginning, because now everybody feels, hey, man, I need anything I want. Or up on YouTube or wherever they might be getting it from. You know, you can mm-hmm. transfer music from your computer to your friend's house. So, you know, they, they should have figured that out a long time ago. And then they and could the issue, put a program in. And the process in, gets a lot more complicated yeah. on Apple. Yeah, and they could have put programming and coding in that could have locked your computer out from giving free music to somebody else, okay? Did they I say that again? That. I didn't they could have I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm saying the process um, tends to be more difficult on an Apple device than an Android or a Microsoft yeah, device. Yeah, they need a law. They needed a law from the very beginning through Congress Stating what you can do and what you can't do with music. If they did that, the musicians wouldn't be complaining, and a lot of the uh, musicians are going broke. Well, Bill Gates, that. 
Bill Gates is the king of cloning. See, before Apple yeah. came out, IBM was the first Apple where they had pr- proprietary type of architect designs, meaning yeah. that it was locked down. No, everything was top secret. Everything was done at IBM. But once, and, yeah. and I, I, I recommend that anyone interested in the subject that you watch um, a PBS special from 1995 about the nerds, the Avenger nerds. It talks about the history of Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, and how Bill Gates really conned IBM into having um, an open architect when they did their first desktop. And that yeah. meant that it allowed the world to clone the PC. And once the computer was cloned, not only did IBM lose, but America in general, general lost. We lost the whole yeah. industry to the world, even though it was our intellectual property. Now you had all these computers being opened. So now that Steve Jobs is dead, I'm not surprised that the Apple will somehow be encrypted and now will be able to be cloned, which we saw in the news with the um, Congress is fighting Apple, and the guys are saying that they want to fight terrorism. They want access to um, breaking uh, the code to get into the Apple phone. So this is much bigger than Prince. This is much bigger than um, what they're reporting. It is really an attack on the American industry when they have these clonings and when they have bootlegs. It's a way to um, to keep everyone in poverty, not um, just the artists. One, yeah, mm-hmm. Go ahead. very true. They, uh, uh, Microsoft, Bill Gates, he saw the future and, and it was programmed. And I've seen that. Or a particular mm-hmm. documentary. It was very mm-hmm. interesting, and mm-hmm. he knew that the, prog- the programming was the main thing for the future. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, IBM didn't look at it that way. IBM was a major player, stomping around America, but um, mm-hmm. Gates knew take the programming and uh, develop the program. He developed a program for IBM, but uh, he gave them a watered-down version. I remember, and then he went on to make a uh, Microsoft Office. Well, he, he didn't and, give him a watered-down version. He stole the program and changed the um, right. the drive from, from A to C and yeah. took it. They called it the dirty, the dirty DOS, you know, yeah, they the dirty DOS program. He actually stole it. So, um, and that's how he formed this country. And now it seems as though that thievery, that culture of thievery, has permeated throughout all yeah, the, internet. Throughout the yeah. whole, whole in- industry with cloning in our youth, think that they should be able to purchase, not purchase, should be able to clone and pick up these um, songs for free. And it started with Bill Gates. Go ahead, Diane. Before we... This is Donald Brown just coming in. Uh, I'm not sure who's on the line, but... uh, Okay. uh, Uh, Go ahead, Diane. You are listening to TNL Radio, 90.5 in the selected area of East New York. It is 401. Okay, uh, Diane, you want to say you want to sign off? And, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I'll sign off, and I wanted to, and I just wanted to say very quickly, um, before we come off the hour to you know close off the whole Steve Jobs, Bill Gates topic, I found it interesting when I looked it up that Bill Gates had a higher net worth than Steve Jobs, but 
Steve Jobs' company, Apple, was like worth more in net worth than Microsoft. So I found the logistics of it, you know, very interesting the way the financial relationships between both companies, you know, were. And it's a, it's it's an interesting history between the both of them. But I mean, that's all we can get into for this hour. So thanks for listening thank to you. the Just of Freedom from this Saturday. Yeah. And thank yeah. you, Mr. Hudson, thank you, the webmaster. Yeah. Please come back on Saturday at three o'clock. We'll finish the discussion. Okay, I'm going to sign off. This is Mr. Donald Brown, chilling with Donald Brown. I'm going to sign off. Thank you so much for letting us go into your time, two minutes into your day. Thank you. Oh, not a problem. We feel free to stay and join the guest today. We're expected to have on uh, uh, a guest. I'm I'm sorry, who who do we have on the line? Uh, you have uh, Ms. Linda Haithcox-Taylor on the line and Dr. Gail Frazier on the line. How are you, sir? Hi, Dr. Frazier. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Good, good. I see you running over from the other show, but I was uh, pleased that you were able to join us. Are we expecting the other members of your Yes, she's on the line already. She's on the line. I am absolutely on the line. I've been listening for the last five, six minutes. It was an interesting discussion. <laughs> Oh, okay. All right. Great. Welcome. Well, we would wanted to have you to share with our audience uh, the mission of the um, National Black Political Agenda uh, Political uh, Convention, convention. that's scheduled in, in Gary. And um, maybe give us a little backdrop of the history. I guess what I saw was from 1972, which was a uh, time that black people in this country was, as my grandmother would say, still in the cell. Politically speaking, we had black candidates. Shirley Chisholm was running that year. And so are we trying to do a rebirth? Well, not We have an echo. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but we, we have an echo, a serious echo. Is there somehow we can straighten that out? Because this is Everybody a great show. We want to make sure it's perfect. Hello. Yes, I'm still on, Linda. Ah, okay. Okay. All right. Is the echo still there? Well, maybe somebody's on speakerphone or something. Okay. All right. I think it's gone. You should start from the top. Okay. All right. Uh, You're chilling with Donald Brown. Journal, we have as our guest, um, Dr. Gail Frazier and Mayor, I'm sorry, we expect Mayor Johnny Ford, and we have the other young lady on. This, 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 can you help me with that? It's Not Frazier. a problem. This is Linda, Linda. Haith-Cox-Taylor. I'm the executive director of the National Policy Alliance in Washington, D.C., and the lead organizer for the National Black Political Convention, which will take place June 9th through the 12th in Gary, Indiana. Okay. Welcome. Thank you. I'm, I I don't know if you heard what I had to say earlier about the history in 72. I did um, hear what you said. Okay. I don't know if you were around at that time. <laughs> I was around at that time, and I'm originally, I'm a native of Chicago, so that's, you know, we, 
I know Gary people don't like to hear us say this, but to us, Gary is a, a suburb of Chicago, <laughs> but <it's> very close, <laughs> needless to say. So your point about uh, whether we're revisiting, um, we certainly have had some very interesting uh, um, taglines put on for this convention, meaning uh, Gary returning to Gary, Gary 44, because it's 44 years later, Gary 216. But either way, the goal and what we what we are doing is making sure in this in this campaign period, which is certainly, as we all know, very interesting, uh, that we are going to bring. African Americans together and do something we haven't done in 44 years, which is set our own agenda and put it out to the world and to this country to let candidates at every level understand that we are more together than people think. I am reminded, and I, I totally miss her so much. Um, and now I'm going to sit here, Reverend uh, at, at NAA, not NAACP at Rainbow Push. Why am I, her name, her name will come back to me shortly. And she used to always say that we're more together than everybody thinks. We're more together than apart. And we are. So this convention is. What was her name? Reverend Johnny? It's Reverend Willie Chaplin Barrow. Absolutely. Oh. Reverend Barrow. I feel terrible. Yeah. That I said okay. her name. <laughs> she was a dynamic little engine there. She's really, yes. really a sharp lady. Yes, um, I do recall her. <laughs> Yeah. But we, you know, the the downside is that we haven't done this in 44 years. The upside is that we're doing it, and it's going to be probably one of the most significant political uh, moves that we have done as a people in almost 45 years. What has the strategy been to engage the population to ensure that we have uh, a great attendance and uh would meet the level of success we're seeking? Well, certainly we're reaching out in, at every level you could possibly think of, from social media to um, literally you know, all of the elected officials across the country, all of our major organizations across the country, NAACP, Urban League, National Action Network, you name it. We've reached out the Nation of Islam, um, fraternities and sororities. You know, We're getting the word out as much as we can, as, as quickly as we can. And uh, when in 1972, when this effort took place, they uh, in, had a 10,000-person 10, 10, response. And we certainly, although we would love to have 10,000 people, uh, Gary's Convention Center only holds eight. So I said, I did ask, I said, how did you accommodate everyone? Because they did not have a facility in Gary at that time. That mm-hmm. they could accommodate, and they said we did what we had to do. So I do understand what that means, and you know you want to make sure that you get the message out, and that um, that black people attend. Everybody seems to think this is really political, but it's not political. It really is. Uh, you hear, I've heard it time and time again. I manage a, a organization that deals with national uh, politics and national policy. And you always hear, where are the black people? Where are the black officials? Why don't we hear from them? But we talk all the time. We're closer than people could ever imagine. I'm saying we, like I'm including myself in that, and I'm not my elected official. But um, this gives an opportunity for all of us at all walks of life. I don't care if you're a bus driver, a hairstylist, a, a uh, you know, work at a hotel, a professor, or a corporate exec. 
this is an opportunity for everyone to be there and to have their voice heard. Well, I certainly appreciate that. Uh, Dr. Fraser, how does the consortium interwine with the the sure. black political agenda. Well, well, one thing, one thing in particular is that we wholeheartedly support the National Black Political Convention, and so we are the grassroots arm of this thing in terms of galvanizing a lot of community uh, activists, organizations, and different ones who have also been responsible in uh, in, in in revising the actual national black agenda that, you know, of course, was uh, done that we did as a spinoff from 1972 and then 1995 and then 2004. So this is actually a culmination of all of the work that we have done. And so we're going to come together collaboratively and, and, and make sure that this convention is a success because we realize, as Linda said, how critical it is for all of the people to come together. We're encouraging people up your way and all over this country to come because, this is an opportunity that we may not even have again where we have all of these uh, political officials and different ones to actually come face-to-face with grassroots individuals to be able to put it out there and say, this is our agenda, this is what we want, and if you want our votes and if you want to be a part of, of what we're doing, you need to address all of these issues and come with some solutions. So uh, we're very excited about this. A lot of work has been going forth in this. Uh, uh, and Miss uh, Linda uh, has been doing a phenomenal job, you know, in terms of, of coming and visiting Gary and speaking to everyone and, and all of that. And so we have pretty much, we fully support this, and we're doing everything we can do uh, to pull all of our efforts together to make sure that this is a great success for all of us. Okay, you're listening to Chilling with Donald Brown on TNL Radio 90.5 FM, based in East New York. Uh, any guests on the line, any callers have any questions, like to join in, this is your time. Any questions? Yeah. Any... This is Mr. Hudson, webmaster. Uh, I'd like to ask the doctor a question. When they Can have, you identify when they yourself, sir? Randy Hudson. Mm-hmm. Randy Hudson. Uh, when they had the Million Man March and other very large marches like uh, that they've had in the past, one thing that I don't see uh, like a 10 to 20 year plan for what we're going to do. They have out here in East New York, they have a plan, a 20 year plan on what they were going to do in, just in East New York, and I'm quite sure throughout Brooklyn. And that's something that we don't have that we actually need because we have these uh, million man marches, which are great. I love them. The problem is after they just like, like smoke, just dissipate and gone. And we should have an agenda like, okay, we're going to solicit so much money from these backers or, or private institutions. We're going to uh, get a TV station, another radio station, because BLS has been sold. It says, you know, it's for African Americans, but it's, as far as I know, I think it's white-owned, okay? And for us to lose all that, also, BET television is not owned by African Americans. So these are the sort of things that there should be anywhere from a 10 to 20 year plan out so we all know where we're going because it's nice to gather and talk about what we're going to do, but we need a long-range plan. It's always short stuff. I mean, that's... Okay, it gives them an opportunity to, to respond to that, uh, Brother Randy, and yeah. see if, if what is the, uh, the convention or the agenda would respond to 
Well, Linda, did you want did, Linda? Did you want to respond, and then I can I come be up behind you? Absolutely. Please. Thank you. So, mm -hmm. thank you, caller. That, that certainly is a valid question. As a person, yes, it is. Was, I was in college when the '72 uh, convention took place. I did not attend, but I was around. And as a person who has worked uh, in civil rights organizations at the NAACP and been involved with many activist groups nationally. I can tell you one of the hardest things for anybody, I don't care what the group is, to, uh, to come up with a quote-unquote plan and to actually implement something. Yes, it takes money, and 20 years is a long time. It's a very yeah. long time. So just imagine now uh, the Black Lives Matter young people or, or someone who's in college is saying, this is what we want to see for our country and for our people uh, 20 years from now. That is a certainly a massive undertaking. The only organization that I can think of that would be appropriate to do that, or, and I don't want to say appropriate, meaning the others are not, but that could certainly uh, be a good lead would be the uh, Joint Center for Economic and Political Studies, and they are one of the organizations that work with the National Policy Alliance. Um, part of our goal, not part, our goal, our absolute goal for this convention is not to come together to talk about what's wrong because we all know what's wrong. We're going to talk about solutions. If right. all of the speakers have been instructed to come with a solution or don't come. Uh, quite pers quite uh, honestly, uh, I have been to enough meetings in, you know, in over 40 years of doing this that after a while, I agree with you, Carla, you get tired of people coming together. They're all beautiful efforts, all of them. I would say yeah. both the million man. I, I live in the D.C. area, so, uh, you know, I know how important it is for the March on Washington and everything else. But in order to do what you're suggesting, I would say that we need to start somewhere. And this mm -hmm. is probably the first time that we're actually looking at a solution-oriented convention for the masses than anything I've seen. That yeah, I, you know, typically we all get up on stage and oh, you know, oh, this is terrible and the gun, you know, on and on with yeah. what's wrong. Mm -hmm. But you yeah. don't hear people talk about let's come up with some real solutions and actually put them in writing to say this needs to be infiltrated into all of our organizations and we need right. to go forward from there. Yeah, yeah. And and if I can chime in after what uh, uh, Linda said, uh, on behalf of the National Black Agenda Consortium, uh, in addition to what's being done at the convention in the Black Agenda that has been uh, written up and everything, we have very much uh, solutions-oriented uh, work that's in there. But I wanted to say this is the purpose of us coming together because we are uh, uh, developing long-range plans based on the outcomes of the things that we've been already working on. I'm sure in your area you probably have groups that's been working on different things, but we realize because we've been behind the eight ball for 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 for, for centuries here in this country, it is it is it seems to be at a snail's pace. But I believe because we have divine providence, I believe that right now the hand of God is moving on our behalf and that when we all come together collectively we will begin to lay out plans and strategies because it's necessary for us to do. So it's not going to just be as if we're just coming to meet just for the sake of meeting, as Linda very well said. We're coming, we're coming with solutions-based uh, uh, things. We're going to leave out with plans, 
And in addition to that, we are in the process of preparing something so that we can also present at the convention to assist in helping other cities and what have you uh, uh, set up uh, uh, how you go forth with the black agenda all throughout uh, the whole country. So when we finish here at this political convention and we come out with some hard court documents and different things that we plan on do, doing, it's going to spread. So those okay. plans and things that you're talking about is going to come together and it's going to be solidified because we're going to be working collaboratively, grassroots all the way up. So, you know, I would just say stay encouraged. Wonderful. So it's coming Wonderful. together. I'm glad you're saying that. Okay. One of the things I'd like to suggest, I, I'd like uh, to suggest Hit the um the the artists, the music artists, and all of the sports people. Have them get involved because a lot of these guys you see them on TV and they got the bling. You know, I got a hundred thousand dollar chain. They, you know, they they totally meaningless. Okay, mm-hmm. now he could have took that money and put it towards something positive. Okay, and I see this over and over. I'm like, see these people don't know what to do with money. Somebody has to get in there and 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 be a uh, uh, person that they will actually follow. They actually need some sort of program that people can follow that, that is moving towards a long-term solution. Because, okay. you know, these uh, guys Hudson, now are people Mr. that Mr. Money. Hudson, yeah. Mr. can I yeah. just jump in real quick before I forget my train, my question? Um, this is yeah. Leslie Gist, and I, when I think about attending events such as this convention, um right. Recently, I've been to the United Nations, and I heard um, some powerful, dynamic young people come out of the right. Black Lives Movement. And right. when, when we look at the successes, one of my current heroes, I call her modern-day Ida B. Wells, is Marilyn Mosby. Oh, yeah. She is, yeah. She is someone, and another one is Mrs. Um, she's a professor. She wrote a book, Michelle Alexander. These people are movers and shakers, they're young people, they have success in getting things done, and, you know, and these are the type of people, as an activist, a producer of an a activist-type historical show, are the people that I really want to promote and make sure, long after we're gone, that our youngsters have their footsteps, their path to go back and retrace when they are... Um, when they encounter something similar. So the guest speakers, can you name some of these people who will be in attendance so that our listeners can say, I want to go, I have to hear that person, this person is making history, they're all about something, it's not just the same on same old. This is Linda. Let me certainly respond to your your comment. The first Mm -hmm. thing I'm going to say, and please, I hope this doesn't come off as negative because it's not meant to be. It is almost, including the uh, young man who just spoke about artists and athletes, it Mm -hmm. is literally impossible to get to all of the people that we would love to get to. That's number one. Unless, you know, there's no big massive address book where you can pick up the phone and call, uh, you know, an athlete. You can go through their unions. You can go through the leagues. But you're not going to get to all of them. So, and, I, and it hurts my heart to say it, but it's the truth. That's number one. And number two, as it relates to other persons who have written books and who are doing marvelous things around this country, um, again, unless you actually have the big, giant, wonderful book, address book of how to reach everyone, you're, it's a massive, unbelievably difficult 
process. So there's no, even with Black Lives Matter, and I'm going to use them as an example because I personally have sent probably five or six messages to them. There's no phone number to pick up the phone and call them. They all use Mm -hmm. social media, as we know. So Mm -hmm. you can send all the messages you want, but they haven't responded. So somebody, somewhere along the line, I embraced for somebody to say, well, you didn't include Black Lives Matter. Well, they didn't respond. Mm-hmm. So how do you get to someone that you don't know how to get to is the question. That is the real question that we all have to address. It is the question. It really uh, is. I know the uh, Can you give out your contact information? We need your contact information. I will information. be happy to give our okay. I will be happy to give anything that you guys need. But yeah. I'm I'm not I'm not trying to be defensive. I'm being very honest because okay. as we've been moving through this, uh, I can use an example of uh, the hip hop caucus and, and realize, and I've known them and have worked with them for several years, and, and when I realized I had not reached out to them, I almost wanted to kick myself in the head. So I did reach out to them. So this is an ongoing process. Is everybody going to have an opportunity to be at a microphone? No, they aren't. When you get to the microphone, if all you're going to do is stand up there and say, oh, this is what's wrong, that, this isn't the moment to do that. We're bringing this convention together to talk about solution. So I will be happy to tell you who we've invited. Okay. Um, can I make a suggestion? Well, well, let her tell who she's invited, uh, brother, right now, and then you can speak. Okay. All right. So we have a mix of young people and of all ages. That's the best way I can put that, of all ages. Uh, we've invited Magic Johnson to talk about business and entrepreneurship. Let me tell you the seven issues because that's pretty much the, the core of all of this. There are seven issues that we are focusing on. Education, energy, justice, economic opportunities, health, women's rights, and black veterans. Now, no matter what the issue, you could probably fit it under one of those categories in some way, shape, or form. So within that, we've invited Magic Johnson, Senator Cory Booker, Reverend Jesse Jackson, Minister Farrakhan, Dick Gregory, the president of NAACP, uh, uh, Mark Lamont Hill, uh, and of course we have a number of elected officials, policymakers. Mayor of Gary is a young female, Mayor Freeman Wilson, Mayor Johnny Ford out of Tuskegee, Alabama, Nas Barak, Mayor Nas Baraka out of Newark, New Jersey, who his dad was one of the original conveners, and um, and we've invited all of the presidential candidates. I am proud to see the, say that they have all responded except for Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, have they confirmed? I would prefer not to say this on the phone, okay. really, on this call, right. um, just for security purposes. I'm working in the environment that, that we're used to, and President and First Lady also absolutely uh, are invited. So if you, if you say that they're confirmed, and then that starts a whole different level of discussion and a whole different level of attendance. If you say they're not confirmed, then people say, oh, they're not going to be there. So if a person is coming or not coming because the president or Ted or, or Donald Trump is coming or not coming, that's you know that's not a, a good reason to be there or not to be there. I should say, we're coming there to create an agenda and to do something positive for our people. Do I, I know whether or not they've confirmed? I absolutely know whether or not they're confirmed. 
can I say something also too? Can I, can I please say something? This is Dr. Frazier. And yeah, also piggybacking off of the reason why we're on this call is to is notify and inform everyone, but also to get you all to participate as well. Because it's not just a one-man show or one person or two people trying to construct something. Yes, we know that this is historical and it's very important, but the reach is for all of us. And so one of the problems that I have being the chairperson for the National Black Agenda Consortium, and please do forgive me because I'm not trying to sound class in any way, is that we come together collectively to try to do a work, and we need everybody's hands involved. And so the thing is, it's easy for individuals, and I'm not saying anyone on this call or, you know, this is doing this, but I'm just saying we will find that there are individuals who, of course, are naysayers saying, oh, it's not going to be this and this, oh, it's not going to be that. But, you know, I'm coming from the adage that Malcolm X said, if we're not a part of the solution, we're part of the problem. So that means that we're reaching out uh, to ask everybody to get on board because we will need delegates to come. And there, while there are many people who have said that they were coming and they will come, we are confident of that. We're also saying that there are many others that are not aware of this, and this is the reason why we're on the call, to let everybody be known that this is the case and for everybody to put their hands to the plow and come whatever ideas, suggestions, remedies, uh, and everything like that. I mean, because, like, you know, that's very important because I'm, I'm, I'm a reparations person myself. And so I believe in reparations, restitution, and all of that. So the bottom line is that my reparations hat and self-determination hat and all those other hats are on my head. And so the thing is, is that, you know, we're coming with a plan. And so, you know, that's the whole thing that I would say when you come there, have the mindset that this is where we're coming from because uh, all of the work and efforts is being put forth by the National Black Political Convention and those others who have partnered with, like I said, the NBAC National Black Agenda Consortium. That's the way we're flowing. So if you all got organizations and everyone, you all want to throw your hat in the ring and say, okay, we coming down here, and this is where we're coming with our delegates. That's what we're looking for right now. That's wonderful. Dr. Fraser, I want to commend you for for what you just said. Um, for those who cannot come out, you said this is going to take place in Indiana, Gary, Indiana? Gary, Indiana. Okay. Yes. Now, this is, a, this is the era of uh, technology. Will there be a way that we can participate? We talked about earlier streaming, live streaming. For those who can't afford a ticket to go to Gary, Indiana, um, is there a way that we can all participate online via Facebook, YouTube, and any other platform other than being there in person? We're working through that. It has certainly come up before. And mm-hmm. uh, obviously our goal is to have as much participation as possible, and particularly in person. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, clearly with technology as, as advanced as it is, we are still working through how to make that happen for those who may not be able to attend in person. So, yes, mm-hmm. it is under consideration. Hey, okay. Can I offer how to implement this? Excuse me, Mr. Brown, could yes. you please um, share that information with the other hosts? Would you give it to me after the show so we can share it with the other hosts that come on? Yes, we have let me on We'll have it available for us. Thank you. Your yeah. connection is terrible, Mr. Brown. about reparations also. That I'm sorry. Let me, let me say, let me give out the website so that we'll have that, and I'll give it out again before we close out. The website for the convention is the, T-H-E, 
nbpc.com, the National Black Political Convention.com. And that is true. We're on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, you name it. Every level of social media, is, uh, is we have that, and the hashtag is the same. It's all the nbpc.com. Uh, as it relates to um, persons, if you have someone who knows how to get to a really good speaker that, uh, you know, that we need to outreach to, I welcome you to send a mess, put a message on the website. I promise you it gets to me directly. It is not a third person uh, situation. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we'll do everything we can to, to uh, engage uh, whoever it is that we can. But you know, our goal again, and I know we, we keep repeating it, but our goal is to bring all of us together to create this agenda and to have an opportunity for us to uh, be in unity and to realize that, you know, we have to do something. We have to start somewhere. It took a while, mm-hmm. but it's okay because we are doing it, and that's the important thing. All right. Okay. I, I just followed you. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is, is there an opportunity to uh, maybe bring in uh, for discounts for seniors and youth participating in the conference for those that want to come? I didn't see that on this. Well, the, the registration, okay. there are three registration levels. The first one is $100, and that gets you into all of the uh, uh, sessions. Um, you know, the, we're going to have a town intergenerational discussion town hall which i'm really excited about that and that will get you into all of those events the uh, either the second registration is 350 dollars which is essentially including all of the meal functions because you know we have to pay for food this right. this effort is not coming together there was no big bucket of money sitting over in the corner and everybody said let's go for it now we are doing <laughs> this as, as grassroots as it can be so i i would love my heart as a mother, as a grandmother, I would absolutely love to say that any student that comes in would be free, but we still have to pay for things. The person that asked about live streaming, live streaming is not cheap <laughs> at all. You have to get the equipment to set it up to do it. Uh, that's why we are looking at how to make that happen. But with everything comes a cost, sadly, sadly. And, you know, you can't go to a corporation and say, well, I won't say you can't because we absolutely have. But when you reach out to a corporation and say, hey, you know, we'd like you to support the National Black Political Convention, what are the two words that they that are the flags that go up as soon as you say what you want them to do? What are the two words? Black I don't know. and <laughs> political. Black and political. So mm-hmm. you know, a lot of companies are not comfortable with, you know, uh, yeah, supporting yeah. or sponsoring something that's quote-unquote political and certainly mm. – you add black on top of it, and they look at you sideways. So just know that the companies that are going to sponsor and the people who have, you know, agreed to come up and, and support us, it will give you a good indication of what's going on and how, how we've had to work hard. So that is the long answer to no, there is nothing free. <laughs> that is the yeah. long answer. Amen. <laughs> okay. okay, but is it not right to say probably the main focus of the convention will be uh, based on this political presidential cycle and how we can uh, put an agenda before whatever candidate that parties have to get an endorsement of that agenda as a criteria for our vote in the general election? 
Well, we certainly want to make sure that they, meaning the presidential candidates, all five of them, are uh, talking to us because there's an assumption that the black vote goes through the uh, Democratic elite. Uh, yes, Democratic right, candidate. right. Exactly. There is mm-hmm. always that assumption. Always that and assumption. And I am, I, I am alive and well to tell you that there are many black Republicans in this country. They mm-hmm. may not, you know, come out and put a banner or walk around with a sign <laughs> on their back, but they absolutely are there and, and, That's true. and doing very well. So, and and their whole point is. You know, don't rule, don't have this convention and don't give our candidates an opportunity to speak. And I said, oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. I would never do that. Because mm. we, as black people, we need to hear everybody, everybody. It doesn't matter who you vote for. Just vote. And don't assume that one candidate or one party is going to be better just because, you know. Exactly. Exactly. You know, there, exactly. There are... There are a lot of things happening in our country, and, and I'm not supporting. Well, I'm it, 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 not be, endorsing any candidate, by the way. I'm just. But we, but, uh, Dr. Fraser and Linda, if we look at what our black leadership has done already, they've already gave the blessings to one candidate. Mm-hmm. The majority has. So does that mean that just because uh, somebody, and, and I'm not going to call any name, but if a if quote unquote a leader has endorsed a candidate, does that, does that mean that you're going to do that? You know, I'm voting saying, is a very personal thing. It's an individual. I've already lined it up. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. When you go in that booth to vote, that is your personal right and your personal decision. So if okay. you choose to vote for, you know, Bozo the Clown, that's your decision. No, I'm kidding. I guess the point I'm trying to make is, is there somewhere we need to lash our so-called leadership in about going out giving a blanket endorsement? Well, I guess the hard part and the easy part. The hard part is that, you know, if someone is perceived as a leader and we take their word as, as gospel and that's, you know, because so-and-so said it, I'm going to do it too, that's, a, again, a personal decision. Mm-hmm. But realistically, all of us should be deciding who we're going to vote for based on our own personal re- uh, purposes. Mm-hmm. When you go to vote, it is between you, your conscience, and your God, and nobody right. else. And right. no one should ever feel threatened, not threatened, no one should ever feel forced to, uh, to give someone a vote because somebody else suggested it. That's not. Exactly. I mean, that's not the right thing to do. That and is their personal decision. No, I, have, I have a question. It, a little off topic. Okay. I have a question. A little off topic. Um, one of the and this convention reminds me of the convention that took place in 1850 after the Fugitive Slave Law was passed, which was a threat to all free black people, especially activists like Frederick Douglass, which allowed. Um, the Southerners to come across the Mason-Dixon line and accuse anyone of being a fugitive, which is what's going on today with stop and frisk and all these unarmed black people being shot down and um, in jail. Now, is there, and you mentioned earlier about reparations, is there going to be a platform of discussion for dual citizenship so that if we need a mass, a mass exodus out of this country, is there a place that there that someone in leadership could say when the stuff gets hot, the, the, when the stuff gets going, and whatever the saying goes, the stuff gets going, right? So some of us may say enough is enough. We need. If I can answer, can I, 
can, can I say something to that? Uh, I'm not necessarily saying that this is what the National Black Political Convention is uh, uh, doing because this, uh, the, you know, the, the convention has its own structure in terms of how it's going to flow. However, that may be an outcome from out of the meetings. But I will say on behalf of the National Black Agenda Consortium, we have that in our blueprint that's called the National Black Agenda. And you can Google that. It's nationalblackagendaconsortium.com. And you'll mm-hmm. see in there, we have a component in there for reparations. And, you know, uh, that's something that we address on a, a regular basis. And we have ongoing meetings to discuss, uh, 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 you know, reparations, self-determination, and, and all of that. And we have these in, 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 in um, actual town hall meetings and other meetings and things of that nature. So, so the point is, is in the National Black Agenda Consortium document, uh, the National Black Agenda does address those things, and you can certainly look into it and, and see what it says. Uh, and so, again, you know, that's pretty much what I would say, but I don't know if Linda wants to say anything behind that, but well, I am saying that if you go to that. I'm only going to respond to the dual citizenship items, and that is in order for you to have a dual citizenship, you actually have to have been born in another country and been a citizen of that country, moved to the United States, and then... Mm-hmm. Either some countries, many countries, other countries say, well, we're okay for you to vote in the United States even though you're a citizen there now and still vote in your home country. Obviously, most of the black people in the United States, uh, we are not dual citizens. So uh, that would be an interesting concept for us to say, well, I'd like to vote in uh, Jamaica and (laughs) in the United States. But uh, or no, I would like to live both places. Yeah, I like to. If I choose to live both, you know, like I said, the other countries, some of them do accept that, um, Mm -hmm. and some of them don't. But Mm -hmm. to that end, if the black people in this country, uh, you know, (laughs) I find that very interesting uh, uh, situation. If we would all say, okay, we're going to all get up and leave and go to Canada or wherever. Like Frederick Douglass, he took, Frederick Douglass chose Haiti right before the war broke out. He was on his way to Haiti. Like some okay, um, other go. leaders, he didn't go because of the war. Right. But many others did. Many others have gone, and they're still there. Well, you know, there are 13, over are 13 million there. of us, there are 13 million black people, over 13 million black people in the United States. And I'm mm-hmm. saying black people meaning uh, those that identify as African Americans slash Black Americans, uh, right. and if all of us were to get up and leave, or even a significant number, uh, that would truly be the agenda of a lifetime. I'm sorry. I need I need to clarify that, Sister Linda. I thought the U.S. Census has us at 40 million African Americans in this country. I don't think there are 40. No, I'm sorry. I'm saying saying this wrong. We're 13. I'm saying saying 13. 13 percent. 13 percent. 13 percent. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Right, well, and I didn't know that because I actually served on the on the. Yeah, they wanted to listen to go out with that, you know. I know. I served on the race and ethnic committee for the census. I should know that. Right, right. And we're saying (laughs) we're saying that with thirteen percent, and I'm not um, encouraging the whole entire black community in the United States to to leave, uh, but I would say that we should have an option like other 
um, immigrants who've migrated to the United States, they have an option to take off and, and leave whenever something, you know, if they don't like what's happening in this country, they go to well, the country. we do have that option, Sister Listen, we have that option. We don't have to stay here. The things are no longer on us. <laughs> well, you know, my uncle just went to Dubai for vacation. And you only had 30, they will only allow you to stay there for 30 days before they ask you to leave the country. So it's not that well, simple. It's not, it's not a joking matter. Well, well he's from uh, South West Africa. Think... Dubai is an Arab nation in, West, in, uh, in North Africa. Right. He should try West yeah, Africa. And... He won't have no limitations of his stay. Okay. Well, what I'm saying is part of this convention and, and I think there should be options laid out in your program to say if you are interested in being a dual citizen of, of, of another country and still be an activist here as well as somewhere else because some people could get more done from abroad than I'm working here. It's been done that way in the past. Um, the AMEs, Richard Allen and his church, so, they're all over so the world. May I, may I say? May I say to so you, it's, may so I suggest it's, it's, to you, mm-hmm. may I suggest mm-hmm. to you that you register, come to the convention, and bring mm-hmm. your suggestion. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would not just bring a suggestion. I would bring the, the history and the book to go with it to show how what our leaders in the past have successfully done and their institutions remain intact, and they're all over the world. They're just not here in America, and my favorite That's is a beautiful AME. thing. AME, That's so a beautiful that thing. So bring it, AME, bring it to the AME. convention. Okay. Bring it to the convention. Okay. Will, will there be an AME, will, will AME church be um, part of this convention? All of the black uh, denominations, or I won't say black, but the denominations that are historically African-American uh, parishioners have been uh, invited. There have been over 600 churches in Chicago and however Mm -hmm. many churches in Gary, Indiana that uh, are absolutely, uh, Mm -hmm. we've outreached to them and and hope that they will participate. Uh, Uh, Sister Lemon and Dr. Crazy, if I can, would you just make a suggestion, if you have not, maybe, because what I'm hearing, what the sister uh, Leslie is raising is, has there been any attempt to maybe engage some African ambassadors to kind of, you know, internationalize the platform or give us that, you know, to invite them on into the seat somewhere? There's a whole delegation of African countries. One of the members of the National Policy Alliance of the World Conference of Mayors, which includes ambassadors and, and presidents and mayors of, of many countries. Mm-hmm. The challenge we have, and I, I No, I'm going to sound like the bad guy here, but please understand, everything costs money. You cannot call someone and say, we want you to participate because the second word out of their mouth is, are you paying my expenses? Mm. So you can invite the world. I don't think a head of state would ask you to pay their expenses. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. And, and if you're asking, and even to the point of our speakers, and I, I need to tell you this because every speaker who's going to be there, they're paying their own way to get there. We're not covering their expenses. So that is, that's going to give you a really good indicator of who is truly uh, understands the importance of this. 
And mm-hmm. as it relates to trying to get, you know, yes, we have an African delegation that we've invited and, and a, a Caribbean delegation. Do I know everyone who is attending at this point? Of course not. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. we are opening, and the point of this call and many others like it, this interview is to say, you know, we want you to be there. We need you to be there. We absolutely need you to be there. Is this going to be the cure-all for everything? No. Okay. What day are. is it taking place? When, when is it taking place this again? Is June, June 9th through 12th, June 9th through 12th in Gary, Indiana. The website is the, T-H-E, National Black Political Convention, the nbtc.com mm. if there is anyone that you would like to have us communicate with to see if they can be there send a message on that website I will personally mm. outreach to them but don't ask me to contact someone without a contact information a contact uh, number or email mm. because that's very difficult that means right. that someone has to stop and try to find this person and find a phone number, or find an email address, and it's, it's almost impossible to do that. It really is. Right. So I'm asking kindly, if there's someone that you have an interest to speak that you feel would be appropriate and bring value to the convention, send a message on the website, and uh, I'll be happy to outreach to them. Now, you talked about the history of it very briefly at the beginning of the interview. Could you um, go back and recap? The, I know you said it hasn't been one, I think, in over 40 years. Could you talk a little years. bit about, okay, about the history of the convention and why did it stop, and, if you know? and Absolutely, I do know. The convention was originally brought together by then-Congressman Charles Diggs out of Detroit, Michigan, then Mayor Richard Hatcher, the mayor of Gary, Indiana, and Amari Baraka, who we also knew as Leroy Jones back then. They they were the three original, they were the three that first came up with the idea. And Mm -hmm. then several other persons came in with them, uh, and I I wish I could name all of those, it would take a long time. And uh, Mm -hmm. they decided to do it in Gary. Mayor Hatcher said, you know, I'll offer my city. And so there's mm-hmm. the, the mayor's staff and uh, congressman's staff and uh, Amari Baraka's people, they all came together, put this convention on. Yes, Shirley Chisholm was there. Anybody, you can name anybody who was anybody who had a, a national presence and really was a good activist. They were there. From mm-hmm. that convention, four organizations were started. The goal of that convention was to get more black people to run for office. There were maybe... A thousand, somewhere between six to a thousand black people that were in elected office at that point. Now there are mm-hmm. approximately 14,000. But our, that still isn't good enough. So, you know, mm-hmm. that is still one of our goals. But from that convention, four of the organizations that are part of the National Policy Alliance were organized. That was Congressional Black Caucus, state legislators, county officials, and mayors. All of those mm-hmm. organizations came together and, and, and literally were founded on a base of that, as well as the Joint Center for Political and Economic Studies. Congratulations. So we, have, we have certainly moved forward, been a lot done over 44 years. I am mm-hmm. saddened that we have not done this 44 years, but I am very happy that we're doing it now. 
And, and, and uh, let me, could you tell us who are the conveners again of this convention? For this convention, uh, Mayor, Gary, Mayor Richard Hatcher is the only living convener. He's still in oh. Gary, and he will absolutely be there. And we're going to honor him at the dinner on Saturday evening. But also, uh, Mayor Ross Baraka, who is the son of Amari Baraka, he is the mayor of Newark, New Jersey. Mayor Johnny Ford, who is the mayor of Tuskegee, Alabama. Former county, uh, Orange County Assessor Webster Guillory, that's Orange County, California, which is, by the way, the largest and the most uh, wealthiest county in our country. Uh, I'm forgetting somebody. Uh, Roy Brooks, Commissioner Roy Brooks out of Tarrant County, that's Fort, uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, Thelma, Thelma Moore out of um, San Bernardino, California. Um, and there are a couple of other people that I have to get. Steve Roberts, who is an entrepreneur and an attorney um, in St. Louis. And there are a couple of more that I'm forgetting. But uh, it's, a, it's a very positive. Uh, oh, Bill, uh, Bill Owens, yes, former Senator. Bill senator Owens. And he is actually the founder. Am I correct, Gail? The founder. Right. Well, I, I, I was I was going to give the history after you finished that, so that okay. everyone will know. And then yeah. our last one that I'll mention is uh, Bob Farrell, who is also out in California. He is the first black uh, city council member for Los Angeles County for Los Angeles City of Los Angeles. So I'll let Dr. Fraser talk about uh, Bill yes. Owens and her organization and how we before, all before we have Dr. Fraser come on. Uh, oh, okay, sure. Leslie, did you have any questions or any callers on? Have any questions from what has been said from Sister Linda? Um, I made my comment, which was congratulations to hear that four organizations came out of the um, you know the convention is great. Um, you know when I, I look back in history. I look at the convention that took place during a reconstruction period in the 1800s, and um, because it was integrated, it was voluntarily integrated convention, there was a massive riot um, and a massacre. And, you know, so when I think about black conventions and black people getting together, I think about that convention, I think about the AME's convention in the 1700s. So in that spirit, um, I'm hoping, you know, I know I'm only learning about it at this short period of time, only a little over a month. Um, I would be ecstatic to be able to attend something of this magnitude to be part of history because when I read about these conventions, I always say, why did they stop? And I would love to be in attendance. But hopefully, you know, somehow we could get there via the cyberspace, um, and I'll work on that after the show and see if we can connect, make some connections and get this um, attended through cyberspace. Can I say something, please? Yes. Dr. Fraser, you you want to respond to the question or you want me to introduce you? You're finally your introduction so people to know about your organization. Well, well, actually, I wanted to follow up on what the sister just said, just so that, you know, everyone's aware. In 1972, and of course, I was in elementary school at the time, but in 1972, after the convention, there were individuals who attempted to keep uh, this, 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 this spirit alive, even though it wasn't in the form of a convention per se. But in 1972, from the Gary, uh, then from there, the 1995 Million Man March Manifesto, uh, that was another component to keep the, and maintain the integrity of what was going on 
from 1972, and everyone knows about the Million Man March. 2004, Senator Bill Owens uh, convened in Boston, which became the National Black Agenda Convention. And, and the thing that's so wonderful about that is that Mayor Hatcher was also a part of that. So that's the reason why this Black Agenda, National Black Agenda Consortium, is so important because from the the one in uh, 2004, Mayor Hatcher was a part a part of that, and 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 of course he you know signed on and, and chimed in and was a major part of that convention. Then in 2012, this is where the National Black Agenda Consortium uh, uh, developed the 2012 Historical Black Agenda. And so from there, we just completed 2016 National Black Agenda, uh, where subject matter uh, experts and community, this is the part that's so key about it, is that the community, uh, we had ongoing community meetings, town hall, hall sessions, and different things to come together to finalize a document that includes and incorporates all of the things that's pertaining to black folks. And so that's why I was saying that it's, uh, this is 44 years out where the brainchild, where Sister Linda and so many other people have said we needed to have a convention. This is the reason why the Black Agenda Consortium uh, was very much uh, active in terms of uh, piggybacking and, and connecting and, and going along with it, coming alongside to push this because we see now the fruition of all of the work that has been done over the years to help black people. And so this is why we're doing this campaign now, reaching out to people to say, hey, come on board, because we all have to be a part of this. This is not just a one city thing. Everybody has to, ha you know, everybody has to be a part. And so when we talk about the component of the youth with the intergenerational piece, when we talk about the woman, you know, female component, the veteran component, all of those things, that's very key to us. And so this is why we need your help in making this a great success. Well, I think one of the ways to engage Black Lives Matter, which seems the piece that would certainly uh, bring the youth involved in a major way through the Black Lives Movement, is to, you know, I know you have difficulty reaching out to them, but to, you know, just include them in the agenda. And then as your social media goes out, trust me, they'll be reaching out to you. Well, if mm -hmm. I can say this, it's not its not just Black Lives Matter. Believe me, there are so many youth organizations. Black Lives Matter is the one that gets the, 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 the publicity. But believe me, there are so many more youth organizations that we uh, are targeting that's going to be a part of this convention. And, and some of these individuals may, of course, be a part of Black Lives Matter. But please don't, don't just think that Black Lives Matter is the only youth organization out here that's doing some positive work because we've interacted and engaged with a lot of youth organizations, one in particular, Hip Hop Detox, where a lot of inter in individual youth organizations come up under that umbrella. So I just want to put that out there because if you think in terms of youth, we don't just want the faith to be Black Lives Matter, and it seems that that's pretty much what everybody's talking about now. So I just wanted to say that. Thank you. Well, well I think, Dr. Brady, that's an excellent point you made. Uh, mm -hmm. But I'll mm -hmm. let the other guests uh, respond to that. Well, I, and I, I couldn't agree with uh, Dr. Frazier any stronger. There are a number of, including NAACP, and, and almost all of our national organizations have uh, young persons component that are positive, and, and uh, you know, we certainly are making sure that they are there, including some of the younger elected officials. One of the persons that I failed to mention was uh, Assembly, New York Assemblyman Michael Blake 
who worked in the White House. And Michael will absolutely be there. He's a great young man. And and a number of others. So uh, I mentioned Mark Lamont Hill and, and uh, uh, Reverend uh, Lennox Yearwood and, and several others. So as a matter of fact, two of the conveners are, in my opinion, young people. They're very young. So we're really excited about that. But, you know, we want to make sure that anybody and everybody who wants to be there can be there and should be there. So we mm-hmm. cannot emphasize enough that if you really are interested in being a part of something, not just historical, but also important, then you should mm-hmm. be there. This is that one moment in life that you're not going to be standing out in the, you know, in a park somewhere <laughs> trying to hopefully, you know, just be in the environment. But, you know, the Gary Convention Center uh, holds 7,000 people, and we intend to have that stadium, that convention center filled and to produce and to provide a professional, positive outcome of a convention. Yes. Wonderful. Okay. Well, I'm going to edit this show, and we're going to broadcast it at 6 p.m. tomorrow on www.blackhistoryblog.com. And on iTunes, on iTunes, www.blackhistoryuniversity.com. So I hope uh, my platform would help uh, fill up your stadium. And I'm signing off as a just <laughs> I just got a, a notice saying I have 30 seconds on this show to end it. And I want to thank you um, so much for allowing me to chime in, um, chilling with Donald Brown and uh, Dr. Um, Frazier and I didn't get your full name, but I will do my Linda. You, can I have your full names again? Linda uh, Cox Taylor. Okay. And Dr. Gail and, Frazier. And Dr. Gail Twitter. Frazier. Dr. Gail Frazier, you guys are on Twitter, Instagram, and your website is. I the, tell them yours, Linda. The NBPC dot com. All right. The Thank National you. Black Political Convention dot com. Wonderful. Thank you again, and I'll uh, we'll thank you on Saturday. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. Thank you very much for. Uh... It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.